0: Welcome back, everyone, to another segment of Rabbi Jeff Spirky Avashir, where we attempt to understand the meaning behind the instructions of our sages and how it's relevant to our lives today. We do this, of course, using the thoughts of our teachers before us and try to make them applicable to our times. Feel free, please, to contact me with any comments or questions at rjfromlj at aol.com. Okay, this mission is a a very difficult Mishnah. Very difficult only because there there are so many there are so many pieces of this Mishnah and it's very complicated to understand what the message is that the mission is trying to teach me. Okay, so let's begin. So Mishnah says that Yophe Talmud Torah, that the study of Torah is yophe, it's good. Now, I have to stand on, on, on many of these words, but I'm going to do that as, after I read through the Mishnah. So Yophe Talmud Torah in Derech that Talmud Torah is good along with Derech We're going to translate Derech here as a job as Derech Eretz, as the, the, way of the, the way of the world, which means uh, a livelihood. There are other ways to translate Derech Eretz, sends the Mishnah into a different spin, but many, most of the Mefarshim understand that Derech Eretz here means um, livelihood. So Torah is good with a livelihood, sheyigias shnei'em mishkachas because putting effort into both of them chases away sin, makes sin be forgotten any Torah that doesn't have melacha, that doesn't have work with it sofa betela in the end the Torah is going to be nullified and abandoned and is going to cause sin and anybody who does works for the congregation for the community yiyu amelim should work for them for the sake of heaven, because the merit because the merit of their forefathers stands with them. The righteousness stands forever. And you, the workers, I consider it for you great reward as if you have done everything you've needed to do in truth there is not a part of this Mishnah that on the surface makes sense and let's start from the beginning first of all Yafet Talmud Torah Torah is good what do you mean good? Is that a suggestion? It's a tova Khmashmalan it's good to get a job it's good along with your Torah that you also make a Parnassah and if you don't it's also okay like, are you telling me a, a suggestion? Are you telling me an ethical imperative? Are you telling me the way that life has to be? Why would the mission use such a soft word as yafe? It's like a nice idea to have Talmud Torah with Dere Kheretz. It's either the right way or not the right way. Either it's learning only or it's working or it's learning and working is a good idea. But what does this mean, yafe? Tell it to me as an imperative. You must work and learn. But why say the word yafe? Too soft Problem number one Problem number two It's good to work And to learn Because working Putting yourself into both of them Is going to be mishka Savan. It's going to chase away sin Well if learning Torah Chases away sin And if working chases away sin Why work Just learn Torah Or, Or Why learn Torah just work. In other words, both of them have the ability to be able to chase away sin. Why do I need both of them? My third problem. She Yigias Shnei and Mishkaches Avon. Torah, I'm sorry, and any Torah. She'ini ma that doesn't have with it melacha. Any, any Torah that doesn't have work with it. Sofa betela. In the end, it's going to be batel. Vigoreres avon. It's going to cause sin. So I have two problems here. My first problem is. Let's look at the words carefully, V'chol torah, by, by the way, you are, we are obligated to learn piyavas this way. As, as I've mentioned from the very beginning that the the messages of Piyavas are buried are buried deeper than the surface. That means we have to look at the surface and we have to rake up the surface and say, what is this not what is this not saying to me what, it, what sense is this not making to me? V'chol Torah Sheni mamaho, what do you see there? You see a problem there? Look at those words again, please. Look at the beginning of the Mishnah Now we're saying Ma. So wait a second Why not use the same word? Why did we switch from to Melacha? Why don't we use the same word for both? If means work means livelihood then say livelihood in both places If is something different than Melacha then I can understand why you would use two different words What's going on here? But I have a bigger problem. That it says, what it's saying to me is, is that if you're not working and learning, so then in the end, you're going to commit crimes. Rashi says that the reason is because you're going to become impoverished. Impoverished. When you become impoverished, you're going to need to make a living. You're going to immediately go and steal from people so that you can support yourself. Now, so Stop and think for a second. Who are we talking to here? A person that's learning Torah. A person that's learning Torah runs out of money. What do we expect him to do? Steal? <laughs> why not like the simple thing? A person who's learning Torah runs out of money. He goes and gets a job. Like, why do we assume that he's going to go and steal? Like what are we saying about the quality of people that are learning Torah? It doesn't make sense. You're telling me the that person that's learning Torah, right, called Torah Shehneimah Malachah. So you've got Torah already, right? but you don't have Malachah. You don't have a Parnasa, You don't have a way to make a livelihood. And then what are we saying about you? Go Avon. You're going to end up stealing. Why are you going to end up stealing? Why, are, why isn't that you just, you know, go look for a job or you're going, you going to do something else first. You're going to beg. You're going to ask people to help you. But you're not going to go and steal that's not, the, that's not the absolute outcome. The next step of what happens when a person runs out of money, they go and steal. Plenty of poor people have never stolen a thing in their lives. I'm about not stealing. You know, I'll tell you an amazing story. We had When I was learning in yeshiva here, so there used to be a fellow who would come to the yeshiva and he would sell tittus. Uh, clearly a beggar, you know, a Jerusalem beggar. And he, was, he would come, and instead of walking around the yeshiva asking for handouts, he would make tzitzes for people. And he would charge a little extra than what you would spend in, in a store. And he would tie the tzitzes right there in the back of his medrash, and, and you would get a pair of tzitzes. And you know, a lot of people did this. It was a great thing. One time I'm sitting with my chavusa. My chavusa is from Los Angeles. I just have would know him, I'm Rabbi Schwartzmer. And, uh, and, and Shmuel and I are sitting and learning, and, and we're arguing about something this guy walks over and he says no, no, no he says to my chavuz, thank God he says, you've got it wrong he said, the rashba says like this the ritva says like that taisa says like this but I think that this is the proper pshat this is the proper understanding and he gives him like a whole dissertation now you don't expect this coming from a you know, from a person who, who's you know, whatever, looks like you know, one of the regular beggars of Yushalayim turns out, who is this guy? this guy was a dayan in Europe unfortunately he saw terrible horrific things in front of his eyes and when he came to her soul he could never make it he just never got himself never got his life back on track and uh, and and this is what he was what he was doing but he was an incredible but he was much more we invited him to come to lunch and he said no so we said <laughs> no like you know for sure this guy hasn't eaten in a long time He's, come to lunch he says, I don't have permission. I can't just eat the food in the yeshiva. So we said, no, we can give you permission. So he looked at us and he said, you're not the balabatim." So we went to the Rosh Yeshiva and we asked him and he said, of course, bring the guy in. Now in that yeshiva, it happened to be that the way they would serve is that there were, there were 10 guys sitting around a the table. They would serve enough food for eight because they made an assumption that two guys weren't going to be so hungry. So they didn't want to waste anything. So they put out less food than what was here, put out eight portions. This could take me an hour to tell So I'm not going to tell the the whole story. At the end of the day, they put oranges on the table. Now these oranges were Biafran oranges. Like these were emaciated, emaciated oranges. They were, they were nothing that you would look at and go, wow, isn't that amazing? So we told the guy, take an orange. So the guy counts and he says, there's not enough oranges. So we told him again, I don't need oranges. He doesn't need oranges. There's gonna be leftover. Please take the orange. The guy takes the orange. And he looks at the orange. Now you yeah, have to understand what this guy looked like. like. Like you know the worst of the Anim in your that, that look like they haven't changed their clothes in weeks, and, and that they they and when they changed their clothes, all they did was turn them inside out. Like that's what this guy looked like. He picks up the orange, he looks at the orange, and he says, like this, rubs it against his beged, puts it in his briefcase, and he says, Zeb Bishvil Shabbat. It was unbelievable. Unbelievable. The, that when a person is a Torah person and they're impoverished, why is the Mishnah assuming that they're going to immediately run to theft? A person like that is going to run to many other things, long before they're going to run to theft. So what is the Mishnah saying? That if you don't have malach, if you don't have a job, so the mishkachas of them is going to cause you to sin. Okay. That's my first part. My, my problem with the first part of the Mishnah. But then, then it says that anybody who works for the community should work for the community for the sake of heaven well, having worked for a community for my entire life, there could be no other motivation for a person to work for a community. What is the Mishnah saying? Oh, by the way, let me just warn you, when you work for the community, do it for the sake of heaven. For shteitzach, you're going to do it for the sake of heaven. A person gives up many, many things to be able to be there for a community. Then of course that, that, that's for the sake of heaven. Plus, why do you have to tell me that somebody who works for the community has to be for the sake of heaven? Doesn't, isn't everything we do for the sake of heaven? Aren't we commanded later in Pirkei Avos? Kol ma'asecha, everything you do has to be l'shem shamayim, has to be altruistic and for the sake of heaven. Why are you warning this guy that he has to do it for the sake of heaven? And look at the reason. What, what if you, without looking at the Mishnah, ladies and gentlemen, what do you think you would say would be the reason that you have to work for the community for the sake of heaven? Because there's very little rewards and it's a difficult job to keep everybody happy, to work for people, to give yourself over to people. It's not a simple thing to do. And therefore, you have to have one motivation. It can't be your own covet because that's going to get destroyed. It can't be monetary gain because that's not going to happen. It can't be fame and fortune. It's not going to happen. So the only thing that can motivate you to do that, the only thing is you have to be doing it for the sake of others. Okay, that's what I would say. But that's not what the Mishnah says. Let's look at the Mishnah. Why is it you have to work for them for the sake of heaven? Because they have merits of their forefathers on their side. So what does that mean? They're affordable, they're a formidable opponent. That means that they could beat you, they could win you. So be careful, don't start up with your community because they're going to trounce you. Like, what does that mean? Because they have the of the They have the help of God on their side and therefore you have to be working for the sake of heaven? and the righteousness stands forever, so what? Why should that dictate whether I work for the sake of heaven or not work for the sake of heaven? Some, things, some some because is off here. The wording of the Mishnah is off here. I'm going to treat it as if you really did it. Well, I did it. The person who works for the sake of heaven, works for the community, worked for the community. They gave their life to the community. What does it mean? I'm going to consider it as if you really did give your life to the community but i did so what does it mean does everybody understand these are not brilliant questions these are not deep questions this is just taking a, a dusting feather over the mishnah and saying okay beyond the words what's the Mishnah saying to me what's the theme of this mishnah I have successfully, I think, pointed out, or not, when I say successfully, there haven't necessarily been good answers, but, but I, have, I have attempted and, and done at each Mishnah, given a theme. Words, what's the theme? What's the connective tissue in this Mishnah? What's the theme of this Mishnah? What's the message that Rabbi Gamliel, B'nai Shal Rabbi Yud, Yudanasi, is trying to teach me? Okay, I have to lay down a principle. We'll see how long that takes. And I realize it's nine o'clock in the morning. Not necessarily the time yet for deep existential questions. I understand on top of a mountain in Nepal is probably the better place to ask this question. But we have to ask the question, and we have to ask the question often to ourselves why did God create humanity? When I learned in yeshiva, there was a fellow who cleaned the yeshiva. He was in charge. It was a very big yeshiva. It was a huge campus. He had a whole staff of people that worked for him. He ran around in a car, in a, in a truck with lights. I mean, he was a really hush of a guy. And, and he took his job very seriously. And he used to say, his name was Mr. Berlin. Mr. Berlin used to say, the yeshiva would run much better and be a much cleaner place if there were no boys in it. Now, it's true, can you imagine God must say that every once in a while about the world? God, this would be such a great world if it wasn't for the human beings. We're a difficult lot, a tough, a tough bunch of customers. Why did God create us? Well, he, needed, he needed GI Joes and Barbies, he needed like little dolls to play with. Why did God create human beings? It's a very, very important existential question. Not, not just what am I doing here, but just let's, let's kind of get into God's head. Why did God feel motivated to create a human? So to put it succinctly and, and in short terms, the Svarim say that the reason why God created the world was because he wanted to be a mate of He wanted to be able to do good for us. God is inherently good Inherent goodness needs to be shared That's part of the quality of goodness And therefore part of God's inherent characteristic Is that he needs to be made of, That he needs to be able to give over to others And therefore he created human beings So that he could successfully be a made That he could give it over to them If that's the case then creation is the greatest act of God's kindness. Because he created the world to bestow his goodness and kindness onto us which means the very act of creation was an act of kindness, creating the brooks, the streams, creating the mountains, creating the trees, vegetation, creating the universe, creating the orbs. All of that was done in order to be able to create man so that he could give to man, which means that all of this was part of the chesed, part of the kindness that he was doing for man. If this is a world of kindness, then why is it that in the beginning chapter of Genesis, all we meet is the God of Justice, Bereshis bara Elohim et We know that God has many different names. The name Elohim is the name of God's justice. It's the midas hadin, Adonoi Yudhevave. That's the midas ha It's the God's attribute of mercy, of kindness. Why, if it's a world of kindness? If olam chesed yibaneh, if the whole thing is about building a world of kindness, being a native, giving over to human beings, if the whole creation of the world was itself an intrinsic act of kindness, then why is it that God created it with din? Why did he create it with justice? Our rabbis explain that the reason is because God realized that man couldn't handle a world of justice. A world of justice is a world of black and white. It's either 100% or zero, and if it's not 100%, then it's nothing. Man can't do that. If anyone has ever taught, you know this very, very well, we always are looking for, you know, another, a, f- a few more points. It can't be black and white. You know, you give a test and you give the test back to the student. Student comes up and says, you know, I don't think I should have gotten a 73. I think I should have gotten a 73 and a half because I, I, I didn't put all the letters, but I had most of the letters of the, of the sentence in there. They were jumbled. I understand. But if you really anagram them, you're going to see, I really had sort of the right answer on a Wednesday. Like it was, it was Thank you very much. But that's what human beings are. We're always bargaining. We're always looking to push ourselves a little bit more to get a little more. We can't live in a world of black and white. If we live in a world of 100 or zero, we're going to fail all the time. We need to be in a world where you can get a B plus. We need to be in a world where you can get partial credit for something. When God realized that there were human beings in the world that were given free choice, which we'll talk about in a second, God decided that he had to mitigate that justice with mercy and kindness. And that's why in the second chapter of Genesis, when God talks about the creation of man in detail, it says, Adonai Elohim. It introduces God's Midas, ha- midas chesed along with his Midas HaDin. But why is Chesed mitigated with Din? Why is it so harsh? Just just do chesed. If you realize that I can't live on din, then get rid of the din and just raise me on chesed. So this is a critical, critical principle. There's a concept called Namadiki Sufa. Namadiki Sufa means the bread of shame. When I give you something for nothing, its real ultimate intrinsic value is nothing. As much as we love to win prizes as much as we love to get gifts, at the end of the day, those things that we didn't work for, those things have a much less value. We have a concept that a person would rather have, kav a person would rather have one measure, small measure of something of his own, than nine measures of something that belonged to somebody else. When we work for something, it's valuable. You know those kiss in your house? The kiss with the little, the little things that have got little, li- little uh, marks on them and they have chips and they're a little broken. But those things, you would never give those away because those things you worked for. Yaakov Avinu is, is out alone, worried about his brother coming to attack him. And he realizes that he left pachin kitanim He left little Tupperwares on the other side of the river. That's why I explained pachim Kitanim. little little disposable jugs, Tupperwares. Right, left them on the other side, and he goes to get them, and that's where he gets mugged by the angel of Esav. What in the world was Yaakov Avinu going after Tupperware? You know, there was other places he could have gone. He could have gotten more Tupperware. He didn't need to go back. He didn't need to to put himself into danger for it. Why would he go back for little insignificant things? Because Yaakov Avinu knew how hard he worked for those things, how honest he needed to be, how much effort he needed to put into it, and therefore the value of those things was off the charts because he was invested in them. We find by Noah, what was God's guarantee that Noah wasn't going to turn to God in the middle of the trip and say to God, I'm out of here. God, I want a lifeboat. I'm done. What was God's guarantee? It wasn't just because it was raining, because that was done after 40 days. But the guarantee that Noah wasn't going to leave was that God ensured that Noah invested of himself. He took his own money, he took his own, his own material, he took his own grain, and he brought that on the boat. God specifically warned him in the Torah not to take anything that belonged to anybody else, even though it was all going to be destroyed. Because God wanted that he should make an investment on his own investment of himself. Because once he invested himself in those animals, so then he became connected to them. They were valuable. And therefore he wasn't just going to turn around and abandon them. When we invest in things, when we put something into something, it means something to us. When we get something for nothing, it's called Nama de Kisufa. It's called the bread of shame. Therefore, what God wanted was he wanted us to earn our place in this world. And in order to earn our place in this world, we needed to become independent. And to become independent, we needed to work for the things that God wanted to give us. There needed to be a system of justice there needed to be a right and a wrong a possibility of succeeding and a possibility of failing there was no free lunch, there was no free gift, it wasn't just on chesed, there needed to be din in this world also because we needed to be able to know that we could lose, that we could be unsuccessful, that we might not be able to make it and therefore we had to constantly justify our existence, this is why I deserve to live, this is why I deserve to be the person I am, this is why deserve the life because i put effort into it i give something to it we have to justify our existence i'm not here to receive free lunches i'm putting something into this world also i'm also significant i'm also doing making a contribution now that doesn't mean i deserve anything there's no no such thing as my but at least i'm making an effort at least I am opening a pipeline that God can send his brach, his blessing down to me. I'm making a hishtadlos I'm doing something. I'm not just sitting and waiting for God to drop the gift into my lap. Because if that's what it was, if it was all about God's kindness, then I would be a person who feels constant shame. But to justify my existence, I need to make an effort to become dependent. They become independent, excuse me. God's kindness is what motivated his creation, but his greatest kindness to us was to allow us to earn our own place, to earn our own existence. The only way to do that is to be judged by Elohim, to be judged by God. Okay. I need an hour for this. I, humbly, I apologize. But this is the principle that we're going to work on tomorrow. The principle is called Nama to Kisufa, the bread of shame. God being a native, God wanting to give us, but we have to earn that which he wants to give us. Just, as a, just a quick last thing. Where, did, where was the first manifestation of this? In the Garden of Eden. Garden of Eden. Wasn't, wasn't that a free gift, Garden of Eden? No, no. What were the two words that God used when he put us into the Garden of Eden? We're there to, to work it and to guard it. We, we didn't have a free ride in the Garden of Eden. We were responsible to make sure that it didn't get polluted. We were responsible to make sure that it would continue to grow because God can't just give us something for nothing because that would be valueless to us. Once we sinned, we had no justification for our existence. And therefore, God switched to by the sweat of your brow, you will eat your bread. It's not such a curse. It sounds like a bad curse. It's not a curse. It's actually a reality. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your bread, which means you're going to work for what you have. It's not coming to you for nothing. Because when something comes to you for nothing, it's dangerous. Great. We'll leave it there, and we're going to pick it up from there tomorrow. You will see how this principle will answer the entire Mishnah in the most beautiful way.